Hello, and welcome to a Special Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and today I'd like to welcome to the show my friend, Jolene Philo. Jolene is the mother of a son born with life-threatening special needs and the daughter of a father severely affected by multiple sclerosis. She's written five books about caregiving, special needs parenting, and childhood PTSD. She is currently co-writing a book with Dr. Gary Chapman about how parents of kids with special needs can use the five love languages in their families. She is a speaker and blogs at differentdream.com. She and her husband live in Iowa. Today, we'll be talking about Jolene's upcoming book, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. It launches August 2019. Jolene, welcome to A Special Hope. Thanks for inviting me, Sarah. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Today, we're going to be talking about your upcoming book, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. And I am so excited for this book. I am too. And we probably should mention my co-author, who some people might have heard of before, Dr. Gary. (laughs) <laughs> they may have Dr. Gary Chapman. So, yes. uh, and he's on the cover. He's listed first, which, you know, he's the love languages guy and I'm coming in with the special needs part. That's just such a fascinating idea. You know, that's a really yes. cool spin on the five love languages, you know, and he's got lots of different types of love language books. Um, can you tell us about some of those other love language books that he has? Of course, his first one was the love languages for couples, and then he came out with one for using them with your kids, with your teenagers. Um, There's one, a military edition, and then kind of related to that, they've started Northfield Publishing, which is his publishing house, has started a new line. And a couple years ago, Keeping Love Alive While Memories Fade came out, and that was for people caretaking for someone who had dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. And this new book is along that line. And it is more similar to that than the other love language books. So where did the idea for the book come from? Well, it was kind of funny. Our family had just moved earlier than we expected into a new house. And this would have been early 2017. And I kept thinking in the fall when all this started coming about and our house sold quickly and we got the new house for what we wanted and and everything fell into place. I kept thinking, hmm, these kinds of things don't usually happen unless God has something on the other side of it where you need <laughs> to be in this location. And my prayer right. was, God, I sure hope it's like something good and not uh, maybe one of us gets really sick and we need to be in this other house or something <laughs> right. like that. And a month after we were settled in and I was starting to feel like, okay, I can finally get back to work again. A friend sent me an email saying, Jolene, when are you going to write the special needs version of the love languages book? And Mm -hmm. if I had had a movie camera in my office, there would have (laughs) been a light bulb over my head because I was just like, that's such a good idea. So I emailed her back and said, I'll pursue it. And I told my family that night at supper and they all looked at me and it was the same thing. That's an amazing idea. So the following day I emailed my agent and she emailed back, 
that's an amazing idea. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, providentially, uh, the woman who co-wrote the military version of the Love Languages book is represented by the same agency I am, though a different agent within that agency. So my agent was very quickly able to get the contact information, pitch the idea to them. And shortly after, we heard back from Gary's acquisitions editor. And he said, you know, we've had a lot of people over the years come up to Gary and ask when there's going to be a special needs version. Really? Um, because, yeah, because what you're saying is great, but it it doesn't quite apply to our families. And mm. uh, Dr. Chapman would have to tell them, that's a great idea, but I don't have children with disabilities. I've never had to be that kind of a caretaker. So when we approached him with that, they were really excited to see, oh, here is somebody with that experience who could come along and co-author with Dr. Chapman. So we first contacted them, I think, in February or March. And the following October, I signed the contract. And so did Dr. Chapman. And work began on the book. And it will be coming out this August of 2019. Just in time for my birthday. Yes, yes. That will be a birthday well. present for you. <laughs> that is such a great idea. That is, the word you used was providential. Yes. That's the only way to explain all of that falling into place exactly so. And just that that's just so cool. And when you told me about this, I i was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding? That's, that's phenomenal. This is going to be... Yeah. This is going to be so great. The other providential, really cool thing about it in my mind is that the woman who co-wrote the military edition is from Iowa. And she lives lives about an hour and a half away from me. And we have met at conferences and become friends. And so, you know, I, (laughs) as soon as it was a done deal, I emailed her. Her name's Jocelyn Green. She's a great writer. What do I need to know about this? And so she was able to give me some pointers, you know, about how to how to set things up, how to plan it out, how to make sure that I was able to get in contact with Dr. Chapman on a timely basis because he travels a lot and is speaking a lot, you know, so working right. through that, you know, catching him when he was available. Um, and so again, it was providential. Wow. And what was it like working with Dr. Chapman? He's a really kind man. We had early on in the process, we had a video or a virtual conference where we could see each other using Skype or whatever. And uh, we talked it over and he kind of let me know, you'll be doing most of the writing because you're the one that knows about special needs. I'm available for anything you need, you know, and I had already kind of given him an outline of what I hoped he would write and what I would write and what I needed where. And he was very, very good to work with. Um, He would look things over. He would add his part in there. um, He would make suggestions. But for the most part, he was he was like, you know, again, you're the person who knows about this. You know what these families need. One of the best things I have to say was if there were terms or something that were very familiar to me because I'm part of special needs and disability community and have always been part of that, he Mm -hmm. would kind of stop me and say, "Um, you need to explain this better. You know, we need more of an explanation on this. And then again, when it went to the editing process, my editor also did that, you know, and it's one of those where it kind of hits you in the face that, oh, not everybody knows about this. We still have a lot of educating to do. Right. Were you anxious? Were you nervous meeting him and working with him? Was there a part of you that was like, oh my goodness, I'm co-authoring a book 
with Dr. Gary Chapman <laughs> like this. Yeah. You yeah. know. <laughs> yes, definitely. And right before we had our uh, virtual meeting, that was probably the worst of it. You know, and I had those thoughts. I used to be in a lot of theater and right before you go on stage for the first time on opening night, you're sitting there saying to yourself, why did I even try out for this thing? What possessed <laughs> me to think that I could do this and remember all these lines and do all this? And then you go on stage and you get into the groove and it goes just fine. Right. And it was that too. It was like, what possessed me to think that I could write <laughs> Dr. Chapman? This is kind of a high stakes thing. You know, right. it's, it's uh, people are going to be excited about it, looking forward to it. And they have been. And am I going to be able to deliver? Do I have what it takes right. to do this? And every time I do that, and that happens at some point with every book, but more so with this one, you have to stop, take a breath and remember God promises to be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not in this alone. Right. God's with me. He's writing it with me. If he didn't think I could do it, he wouldn't have let things move this far, you know, because you pray for guidance along the way and for open doors or shut doors and trust that that's best. And since the doors kept opening, he must think I can do it. So right. that would be the thing that would bring me down to earth or stop my anxiety. Right, right. It's the Lord who's doing this with you. You're not, yes, exactly. or doing it through you, rather. Right. Even. Now, which members of families raising kids with special needs is this book for? Is it kind of just a general for any anybody? Is there a niche in the special needs community? Who's really the target audience for, for this kind of book? The target audience is any parent of a child with special needs, whether that child is young or an adult. And within the book, it addresses different relationships within the family. So there is a chapter about spouses using the special needs with one another. And it takes into consideration, you know, the time constraints, the financial constraints, and all that kind of stuff that families who are caregivers have to deal with that other families don't have to. Like, you know, going out for a date. You have to start planning a month in advance and all that kind of thing. So most of the ideas aren't the kind of thing of, oh, well, you and your spouse need to get out on a date. It's more of what can we do within our situation? If we can't right. go out for a date, could we have somebody watch the kids in our house so we could have a date out on the deck? Or are there other things that we could do? You know, could we have popcorn in a movie? after the right. kids go to bed, you know, those kinds of things. So there's a chapter for spouses. There's a chapter about how to determine the love language of a child who has special needs, and then how to use the love languages with your children who have special needs and disabilities. There's a chapter devoted to the siblings. There's a chapter devoted to explaining the love languages to professionals like medical professionals or educational professionals perhaps yeah. without using the love language jargon, mm -hmm. you know, how to get those principles across. And then there's also an, a chapter for extended family and friends of what they can do and how they can use the love languages with the members of a family of caretakers. So wow. it kind of tries to cover a lot of it and all of it. Yeah. And then there's a final chapter where the people who were interviewed, some of them just had some really unique perspectives and things to say and ideas that were quite profound, but didn't really fit into the framework of the five love languages. So there's a voices okay. of experience chapter that tells 
some of their little stories and and what they've learned along the way. Wow. So hopefully, yeah, it reaches the whole family, yeah, and beyond. There's so many different aspects of the book. So with so many different ideas and and kind of topics to address within a special needs family unit, how in the world did you go about doing the research that you needed to do to complete all of those different chapters? It sounds like it would have been a massive undertaking. So tell me about the research uh, process and how how you came out on the other side unscathed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure I'm unscathed, but I'm here. The the research actually started even before the book was a, a go. I did a survey, an online survey, and asked people just to fill it out of if there was to be a book like this, what would you want addressed in it? And so that's where I got the ideas that I used in the book of what people wanted. And then before the book proposal was written, I interviewed some of the families that had filled out that survey, just a few, to kind of get more information from them about what they wanted and to get some stories to include in the book of how people had used the love languages with their kids who had special needs and disabilities. And then after the book contract came out, I contacted all of the people who had filled out the survey and asked them if they were willing or interested in being interviewed. And I think there were about 40 families that responded positively and I was able to set up interviews with. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed them all and um, just had tons of questions to ask them about for have you figured out your child's love language? How did you do it? How do you use them with your kids? What are things that you found out found to do? How have you used them with your spouse? How do you talk to the educators? So all the things that I thought were going to be in the book, I asked those questions during the interviews and people really provided the content. Those families provided the content and it was amazing to hear their stories and their creative ways of adjusting the love languages for their kids with special needs and disabilities and you know how to do it inexpensively, how to make it easy so that you're not adding another thing to your already busy day. After I had all that compiled, I looked for the common themes from people and and found those and then found the stories that went along with those themes. It was it's kind of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. I right. also read I also reread all of Dr. Chapman's other books to get ideas of, you know, I'd like to have something like this in there or something like that in there and just kind of put it all together. And then I also ask all the families I interviewed, what resources have really helped you in the past? And I kept a list of those and all of those resources, whether they're books or agencies or whatever, are included in the back of the book, along with some of my favorites for parents, because what good is a book if you don't have resources for parents to go and find? Right. More of more of what they need. And I know as a former parent of a child with special needs, you don't have time to do all that research yourself. So that, right. then after you get all of that put together, you just start writing the chapters and I we'd work on one and we'd get it the way we liked it. And then, you know, we did that until we were done and got wow. to turn in the manuscript, which is a wonderful day. Yes, yes, that was that was a good celebratory day right there. And yes, I'm excited because Kyle and I were one of the families that you interviewed. Yes. And I remember getting to talk to you about and the questions that you asked were they were really great questions because they weren't things that we had thought of before. Mm-hmm. You know, I I never really thought about using the five love languages with my son 
with my kids in general, first of all, but, you know, specifically with Sam. Or if we had, it wasn't really a, a conscious, you know, like, how can we use the five love language? It, it wasn't a conscious effort. It just, you know, I think parents just kind of, they just try to love their kids the way that they see that they, right, you know, enjoy being loved, but they don't realize that there's, you know, that there's kind of something behind that, that, you know, you can learn more about and, and use, and there's more, there's just more to it. Yeah. Which is really cool. Now, and and so when you are asking us those questions, you're asking what, you know, what each of our kids' love language was. And I think for Ben and Josh, we, our oldest and our youngest, we were, we could pretty much tell, you know, right away. But when it came to Sam, I, I remember being a little stumped and thinking, huh, what, what is his primary love language? You know, how, how does he feel? And I remember kind of thinking, oh, no, this interview isn't going well because we don't know our kid. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. But I think that for parents to think about it in that way, it, it kind of changes your perspective on your relationship with your child and the things that you that you do with them and how you go about building that relationship with them. And, and of course, it varies on their needs and their abilities, if they're verbal, if they're nonverbal, if they can participate in activities with you or, or not, um, their physical limitations, you know, all of those things are a factor. And so how can parents identify the primary love language of their child with a disability? What would you say is, is a good way to go about doing that with, with well, them? This is, this is one of the things that when I would ask people how they identified them, a common theme came about. And I should mention to readers, if you pick up the book and read it, you won't see Kyle and Sarah's name because right. all the names had to be changed. And one of the hardest things in the whole project was I had to have signed permissions from everyone. And so that's 40 families. Most of them had a spouse. And then if their kids were adults, I had to get signed permissions from them too. So collecting the permissions was probably the hardest thing that I had to do. Yes. But it got done. So back to your question, how do you identify a child's love languages, especially if they're dealing with communication issues? Maybe they're nonverbal. Maybe their developmental age is much younger than their chronological age. So what do you do? Uh, and what I found, several parents mentioned this. They look for what their kids enjoy. It boiled down to three questions to ask. Where does my child spend his or her time? What motivates my child? What calms my child? Hmm. And this is all in the book. And then you kind of observe your kids to see if you can figure it out that way. Now, Dr. Chapman in his book for children, and we use this idea in the new book, talks about taking a two-week period and trying each of the five love languages, which we haven't mentioned what they are. There's gifts, giving and receiving gifts, physical touch words of affirmation, acts of service, and quality time. Mm -hmm. So you could try one of those with your kids for about a week or two, you know, and see how they respond and then go to the next one and see how they respond. Combine that with where does my child spend his or her time? What motivates my child? What calms my child? You'll probably get a pretty good idea of their primary love language. Right. If your child has a developmental age that is maybe quite young, you don't really need to worry about pinpointing their exact love language. You need to do what Dr. Chapman also talks about in his book for children, 
which is until about the age of five, all kids need all five. Right. You know, the gift giving, it's maybe, you know, they don't need to be showered with gifts, but. Let's try out the gift giving and see if that works. Like That could get kind of expensive. So maybe take it a little easy, you know, little things, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be buying the big, the big things, just you know, it could, it could be even treating them to ice cream, you know, out or, or something that's, you know, or just buying something little. Like when Sam was little, he loved Lightning McQueen, you know, all the cars. Uh-huh. And so and Target was our go-to place because they often had the clearance aisle and we could get cars sometimes for a dollar eighteen. And yeah, so exactly. I would buy a whole bunch of those and put them away in a box. And then every now and again, I could get out a new one to surprise them with. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be super expensive. How else can parents be using the love languages with their kids, with their special needs? What what advice would you give about how to be using each of these five ones with their kids with disability? Uh, well, one of the most interesting things that I discovered with interviewing parents was there were several whose children were nonverbal and yet words of affirmation was their primary love language. How did they find that out? Because when they, when they spoke those words of praise or affirmation to their child, the child just would light up and be more relaxed. And so there were many of those. And, and so I don't know what that means for that child. Then, you know, they, they can't use their primary love language on, on other people. Now with communication devices and as they get older, if they can learn to write and that kind of thing, perhaps they can use their love language. But I found that to be really interesting. The other thing that I think I really learned about whatever your child's love language is, you have to consider the child's developmental level when you're using the love languages and when you're trying to determine their love language. So just because someone is 36, if their developmental language, if their developmental level is age five and physical touch is important to them, that person is still going to want you to tuck them in and Mm. kiss them goodnight, you know, and maybe snuggle next to you while you read a book. So you, you have to think about that. What are some acts of service I can do for my child who has the developmental age of a 10-year-old. Mm. You know? And and with that, how do I do that without enabling my child right. to be more dependent upon me than they need to be? And so the thing there is you do for them only what they can't do for themselves. Mm. You know, And then you're always trying to help them. Maybe you're going to sit and keep trying to help that person try to tie their shoes and work on it and work on it. And eventually they may learn because any child given enough time can learn new things. Right. So once they've learned that, you're going to have to find a new active service and not just automatically bend down and tie their shoes to show them that you love them. Right. Or whatever it is. And the same with gifts. You're going to have to find gifts that are appropriate for them. If that person is 15 and is in love with everybody from the Toy Story movies, they're still going to want to maybe get a Toy Story coloring book or action figure if if that's their chronological age. And yet, at the same time, as they become adults, we also need to treat them and talk to them like adults. So it's a fine line, mm, but we yeah. can find it by considering what our children really need and what is going to speak to them the most. Right. So those are just a few examples. There's more in the book. 
Right. Yeah. You've got you've got a, a ton of different ideas in the book to to use, and those are things that you also present at the conferences um, that you're speaking at when you talk about the five love languages as well. I will mention that um, you know some of these within each chapter, some of these ideas are presented, and then at the end of each chapter, where that specific love language is addressed, there are just lists of ideas of things that you can do for each love language. And all those ideas came from the people who were interviewed for the book. Right. So they are field tested by families. <laughs> field tested. Yeah, family approved. Yes. That's really cool. A lot of these things that you're talking about, it, it really just comes down to being intentional about considering who your child is. Mm -hmm. And what I found when we were doing that, when we were interviewing with you through that, to to be intentional about considering who our child was, we we had to look kind of past the disability to yeah. the heart of who our child was. And a lot of times it's really hard. It was kind of hard to do that. It, it can be really difficult to look past the disability of our children to see the heart of who they are. But uh, and maybe for I know for some parents that's that's super easy for them to do, but for some of us it's it's a little bit more difficult, especially if a disability is more prominent, more profound, more you know visible, just more impacting to the child and, and to our family. Um, but to be intentional about looking past that, or even in consideration of like okay they you know like you were saying they they have this disability, this is where their um, abilities are, this is where their strengths are. You know, but looking to the heart of the child and really who mm -hmm. who they really are as a person, their disability notwithstanding, right? And so to be yeah. intentional about just considering, and that's something we should be doing. It's something that we we can do um, in in all of our relationships. You know, with our spouses, with our with our other kids who don't have disabilities. You know, with our friends. Um, it's something that we do kind of automatically, but somehow when there's a disability thrown in there, it kind of throws us you know, all out of whack. And we're like, oh, now we don't know how to, we don't know what to do with it. How do I love this child? You know, how do I, how do I do this? Um, but if we're intentional about just looking to see, you know, who are they as a person? I mean, you can find that out despite their disability, because of their disability. There's, you know, that's, it, it's, it's a, it's a part of them, but it doesn't define completely who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of how to apply that to our spouses and our typically developing kids. What advice do you give to parents who need to cultivate that relationship within their marriage with the siblings of their special needs child? You know, their other kids. We have two others and, mm -hmm. you know, it can be, it can be kind of daunting to, you know, okay, well, let's consider every single child, but how do we, how do we how do we address the needs of everybody within our family unit and love them the best way that we can? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it starts with, with two foundational things. First of all, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be huge. And then second, you're going to have to give up a little bit of control. Parents of kids with special needs, once they figure out how to make things run, like to be in control because they know that if we do it this way, it's going to be easier. And mm. then they tend to not have other people come in and learn how to care for their children. Mm. 
And and sometimes it's even the spouse. The spouse doesn't get to come in and do it because the other spouse can do it better. And we kind of have to get to that point of, you know what? Sometimes good enough is good enough. And there is going to be, and Matthew Mooney and his wife, Ginny, talk about that in the book. There are about five families who's, who I use their real names in the book and have permission from them, mainly because they are involved in a ministry, you know, and it's kind of hard to right. talk about them and what they do without talking about them. Who they are. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And, and he says they have a daughter who has autism, severe autism, is nonverbal and has moderate cerebral palsy. And they talk, and her name is Lena. And they talk about sometimes we have to let somebody else be at, on the top line. And sometimes it might be my wife. And that means that somebody else is going to take care of Lena. And the next day she will have wet the bed and we'll have some behaviors that we don't usually see. But sometimes the other person is more important. And sometimes it's our other kids, Hazel and Anders, who have to be at the top line. Mm-hmm. And we have to let go of some of that other control. Now, within that, there are things that you can do that don't require, you know, tons of preparation. We talked already about, you know, having the date night in your house. I've had another parent said, well, just on the way home from work, I stop and pick up dessert. And then after the kids are in bed, my husband and I have coffee and dessert together. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Or a lot of people mentioned just play a board game with your spouse because it gives you something else to do do and eventually you get more comfortable and you can start talking about the things you really need to talk about. Right. You might have to go to conflict management therapy afterwards though. Well depending on like, the game. You know? and, and, <laughs> and they said, you know, make it a silly game. You right. Know, not don't get anything. don't get emotionally yeah. involved in Monopoly. Yeah. It is not and that serious. That, <laughs> it doesn't need a lot of strategy. Not strategy games, just more like even Uno, you know, something right. that you right. don't really have to think it's about. just an activity that you can you can bond over and connect over exactly exactly and then another thing is whether it's with your spouse or with the, the typically developing siblings find something maybe your child likes quality time and loves to be outdoors so you could go out and do yard work together just the two of you or um if if they like to go on walks or ride bikes just do that and have some the other spouse maybe take care of the the child with special needs for a while. Find simple ways to do that. Right. One mom talked about she would go to, she was in school at the time and she would go to a coffee shop to study and she learned to take her daughter with special needs. She would just pack a backpack for her and she would go with her to the coffee shop and color and do her work while her mom did her studying. And that became a really special time for them. So you have to be kind of creative. Another thing for kids that like gifts, whether it's siblings or kids with special needs, you alluded to this, the dollar store is great. And you can go and get 20 of the things your kids really like and wrap them up in 20 different packages and just dole them out, you know, when they need a treat. Uh, Another, several people mentioned that the gift doesn't have to be something something purchased. It could be a picture you color with for your child. It could be a, a leaf you find on your walk or a bird's egg that you find or something. And some kids really like that. One mom said that her son is into building stuff 
out of cardboard boxes and tubing. And so uh. she, yeah, she made that known at her office and people started collecting things and she would take it home. And her son, you know, like has people at her mom's, his mom's work who are giving him gifts, which yeah. makes him feel especially loved and cared for. Right. So there's lots of simple ways to do it. That's so sweet. I think the important thing for siblings and spouses is to, to carve out a little bit of time where it's just that other person. Right. You know, and, and yeah. just make that intentional. But it can be as simple as choosing one child to go with you to run errands and leave the others home right. and then get an ice cream or something at the end. Right. Yeah. What Kyle does um, with our boys, and I think we talked about this in our interview. I don't know if it if it's in the book or not, but what we do is that every Friday he takes a different kid to our local coffee shop, uh, which is Baxter's. And they love, they all love Baxter's. Um, and so he takes a different kid every week and he's got a schedule, you know, and, and uh, sometimes if we get off, it's, you know, he's like, who's, whose turn is it? And then they have an argument over, no, I went last time. No, it's my turn. Cause you know, and, and so he just, he makes that special time and, and, you know, and, and Sam is one of those. So they go and, and I think, I think they all have hot chocolate whenever they go and he gets his coffee, but, and, and because Sam is homeschooled, he can have a little bit more freedom in the morning uh, with the other two though, he'll take one and, and, and go. I think he'll be intentional about taking that time to go and spend that time with each of them individually, you know, or if one of us has to go somewhere, you know, run up to the store, you know, and we're all home, you know, we'll go to one of them and say, Hey, you want to come to the store with me? And sometimes they're kind of like, do I, do I have to? I'm like, well, no, I just thought maybe it'd be nice. We could just go together. And they know there's a Starbucks at the store and they know ah. that I have a Starbucks card and there are cake pops at Starbucks. So uh, on occasion, when we go, we'll, we'll get a special cake pop, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and that's just spending that special time, just being intentional about finding that time wherever you can and making that, making that special mm -hmm. for each person in the family. And I think another piece of that, if you can, is if you can get some friends or extended family to feeling comfortable with your child who has special needs, you know, and even be willing to come in for just an hour on Saturday mornings once they know how to run the machinery or, you know, how to relate to your child, that gives you an hour then that you can either spend with your spouse or with one of your typical kids or just right. alone now and then too. Alone. Ah, alone. <laughs> the more we can do that, the better it is for us. And the other benefit I think that's even more important is we start expanding the worlds of our children with special needs because we won't always be there to take care of them. Right. If they can develop relationships with other people who know how to relate to them and, you know, love them for who they are, they're going to have a richer world all the way around. Right. Now, how does this book acknowledge and address the challenges that are unique to caregiving families? Well, I think the main way it does that is it kind of goes through a list of seven of the big threats caregiving families face, and they include financial stuff and geographic separation, sometimes for, for treatment for kids and time, of course, and stress and, and some other ones. And when I present that at workshops, somebody at the end during the comments and questions time always says, that list is right on. That's exactly right. That's what we're living with. So at first, Right. book just acknowledges that those things are real. And then 
as much as possible, those things are taken into account with the ideas that are suggested so that they're yeah. simple things. They are inexpensive things. They don't require a lot, of, a lot of time. And sometimes they even allow you to kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. So you could maybe go to the grocery store, get one of your kids to go to the grocery store with you. And then you could pick up a treat together for whoever in your family likes gifts, you know, right. and take that back right. to that person. So you've spent quality time with one, you've gotten your grocery shopping done and you've right. treat for everybody else. So as much as possible, it's really a three for, yeah. <laughs> so as much as possible, you know, you, I try to think of things that you could just combine. It can be as simple as, okay, we're going to serve dessert on fancy dishes tonight. We were already going to have dessert. Let's just use the good dishes. So right. easy things that, um, you know, we tend to get so caught up in the, you know, there's, we have, every, life now is you have to have the best gender reveal party and you have to have the best promposal and all of that kind of stuff. And we forget that the simple things are often the best and the most meaningful. And so this right. is more of the simple. Yeah. They don't all have to come from Pinterest. No, they don't. You know. and they don't <laughs> they... all have to be, you know, done on Facebook Live or recorded at all. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The simplest things are just the ones that, you know, and, and I heard somebody talk about this once that, you know, not everything needs to be broadcast and announced of what happened in your family. Some things you can keep just between you. And it's that's a special thing that, you know, if everyone always knows everything about your life, then there's nothing special that just you and this other person have together. Exactly. You know, my oldest son and I, we have this particular kind of back and forth banter that we do that's that's unique to us and it's silly and it's fun. And that's not something I really want to share. Like that's something that's that belongs to to him and to me. Exactly. And you know, don't feel the need to, you know, oh, look what I've, there's nothing wrong with, with sharing things on, on social media, but, but do be cautious, you know, exactly. because some things are, can be, can be special when, when it's just between you and that it's like that, that inside joke that only you two know about, you don't need to explain it to the world. You know, just, some things are just sacred and special. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good thing that, that I think that we need. So Jolene, when will this book be available and where can we find it? It will come out in August of this year, 2019. I don't know an exact date yet, uh, but you should be able to find it on Amazon and in any bookstore. You'll be able to get it. You can also go to my website at that point, differentdream.com. And I will have information pointing you to where it can be purchased too. Or if I'm speaking in your area, I will always have a book table and you can get a signed copy that way. Yeah. Yes. And you can find the speaking schedule on your website too. You've got a speaking schedule there. Yeah. Um, so people can go in and, and look for that. And you're not only in Iowa, you've been all over. So that's right. You're, you're making the rounds. And lastly, the last thing I want to talk about is the special hope that you have. Tell me about the hope that you have that's motivated you to speak out to families living with disability. What is it that has that has held you or that you've held on to through all of these years in your own experience that is now enabling you to to speak out? What what hope do you have to share? Yeah, well, I I speak and write from a double disability focus because my father 
um, was in a wheelchair the whole time I grew up. He had multiple sclerosis and went from wheelchair to invalid to nursing home um, over a period of 37 years. And then my son was born in 1982 with a birth defect that required immediate surgery and lots of follow-up surgeries and corrective procedures. Um, and from all of those surgeries, he developed post-traumatic stress disorder, which he's been treated for quite successfully. So I write from right. that double-pronged focus and through it all, what I have seen is, and my hope is that my father's life, as compromised as it was, and I'll get all teary on this, also had a profound impact on the way my brother, my sister, and I live our lives and the yeah. choices we have made. And all along, I saw that my father was just as valuable in relationship with us as before his illness. Mm. And so that's a hope that. You know, disability does not change your purpose. Uh, in fact, sometimes mm -hmm. it accentuates, enhances, empowers mm -hmm. your purpose in life. And the same with my son. There was a point when he was very young and really having a hard time. And I was very worried that he might die. And God just let me know, you know, if, if your son dies, he'll be with me. And you won't have to yeah. worry about all of that you know, puberty when he's older and will he become a believer and is he going to make good choices? He will already be in my arms waiting for you when you arrive in heaven. And that was just such a relief and a hope. Now, God also has a sense of humor. My son had a very rocky puberty and life was not easy with him. And we wondered about the choices he was making and what his ultimate eternal decision would be. Now, he's doing very well now, and he has a strong faith. So that's not a worry anymore. But I just always like, yeah, God, you knew. You really needed to show <laughs> me that all of this so you could make it through. So that's my hope, too, is that God is with us, and God is for us, and he's with our children. And especially when, we're, when our children are young, and they can't make any decisions for themselves. We get so tied up in will they live or die on this earth mm. when our hope is they will live eternally. And I believe that our God is yeah. good. And if a child can't make that decision, isn't it a point where they can make that decision? God takes them home to him. And that speaks to the value, the inherent value that they hold as as image bearers of God. Exactly, yeah. Which is just such a beautiful hope to have. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing about your book. I cannot wait for this. I've, I've been to the conference. I've heard you speak on it. We communicate often about it. So yes, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to seeing it come to fruition. And today, this podcast is going to be live later, not today, but today you're doing the uh, the reveal. You are doing a reveal today on Facebook for the cover of the book. Yes, I've got it all ready to go. Which I have already seen, so I feel super special that I've already seen it, but I love it. I think it'll be great. So, yeah, I think it's great too. Jolene, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing about your book. It's such a timely resource that's going to be great encouragement to so many, and I can't wait to read it. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It was a delight.
Jolene has a wealth of resources I want to tell you about. As I mentioned before, she's a speaker and an author, and you can find her speaking schedule, her books, her blog, and everything else about her on her website at differentdream.com. Jolene also began an intergenerational podcast called Home Again Podcast with her daughter, Anne, whose family lives with Jolene and her husband. My favorite part is their subtitle, One House, Two Boomers, Two Millennials, Two Kids, One Dog. Nobody's dead yet. They talk through the unique needs, stressors, and joys of living intergenerationally from new babies to grandparents. It's a fun and upbeat podcast that even if you don't live with your family, you can still glean wisdom from Jolene and Anne discussing relationship and sometimes even recipes. If you'd like to connect with Jolene on social media, find her on Facebook at Different Dream and on Twitter, look for Jolene Philo. Don't forget to check out Jolene's book, co-written with Dr. Gary Chapman, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. The book is available on Jolene's website under the book section, and you can also find it on Amazon, in stores. So look for it, get it, read it, love it. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and this is A Special Hope. You can find our website at hopeinautism.com slash a special hope podcast. Also on Facebook and Instagram at a special hope podcast and on Twitter at a special hope pod. You can also email me at a special hope podcast at hopeinautism.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media and hear your comments. And if you're enjoying listening to a special hope, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give a five-star rating and give a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It goes a long way towards helping others find hope and encouragement. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great week.